This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 10th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And I'm sure everyone's watching the news, and it's always interesting, and things are constantly changing and churning and going in different ways. And the news can affect the stock market in both bullish and bearish ways. And there's a lot of variables at play. So you are probably looking for unbiased guidance. And that's why you are here. Right? You've come to the right place. I'm Justin Klein. And thank you for joining me today. I hope you will call me with your investing questions. And when and if you do make that call, you are able to shape this show to your advantage just a little bit better and help you in particular make your next step in your version or your journey of financial freedom. And we do this each and every day with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to move you along your own individual path to financial freedom. Our line is open right now, 888 chart 888-992-4278. I urge everyone to call sooner rather than later. The hour tends to go by quickly. Now, let's take a quick minute to remind you of some investor learning opportunities. Steve Peasley is in San Jose today conducting no-cost portfolio review consultations. He will also be in the New York City area on November 7th as well if you want to set up a time to meet with him. You can always meet with us at our Irvine, California office. We're there, you know, five days a week. So you can call that n- our, 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 our number there. You can reach out to us via investtalk.com. Uh, and speaking of our Irvine, California office, two days away from our KP Wealth Management Conference, Earning Yield in a No Yield World, Investing in Real Estate Stocks and Bonds for Income. There's limited seating available. I think we have uh, just a handful left. So Make your reservations right now through investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns the prediction small cap stocks are primed to outperform large cap stocks over the next 10 years. And years is a long time frame, right? But we're just looking at valuations here and presenting a potential buying opportunity. I'm going to give you my sense. This is, we're highlighting the article here and what another analyst is thinking. So we're going to go over his thought process and I'll give you my thoughts on whether I agree with that thought process as well. Also, estimating your in-retirement expenses can be difficult, but going through these seven easy steps will help you understand how to think about that, how to think about not necessarily pinpointing, but have a generally good idea of what your cash flow needs are going to be in retirement. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. Also, I want to touch on this recent called scandal crisis in the NBA in China. I'll give you a quick background. It hits home for me because I'm uh, basketball is my sport. I, I still play it today. Uh, NBA is my favorite league and it's actually very big in China as well. And 
There's a recent crisis. I'm going to touch on what's happening there, how that might play into not just business for the NBA, but other companies, as well as what this could mean for multinational companies who do a lot of business in rough markets, shall we say. You know, markets that can cause a lot of political strife if you touch the wrong chord, and clearly the NBA did that just over the weekend. So we're going to talk about that. Also, PG&E shares are down because of potential shutting down for five days electricity for the Bay Area because of a really terrible law uh, by that are passed by the politicians in California that is really hurting the company and is going to basically force them to file bankruptcy. So we're going to talk about that, and this is a good example of how not just geopolitical risk, but domestic political risk can create big problems for individual companies. So that's one that's on my docket today. That is what I want to talk about. But ultimately, I want to talk about what is on your mind. What are you thinking about today? What have you been thinking about recently? Your portfolio, the overall market, what, you know, talk about real estate, interest rates, commodities, different sectors of the market, etc. All of these are on the table. Retirement, um, you know, annuities if you want to go down that road. Insurance. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm sure you have something to bring to the table today, and I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is the number. Let's take a quick look at the market today. The S&P was up a little over 1%. Small caps up a little bit less than 1%. NASDAQ about 1.25%. Overall, a very positive day on the back of some optimism around the trade war. I'm not going to hold my breath. How many times we heard this? Oh, we're making progress. Things are going well. It's, to me, a whole bunch of hullabaloo. It's nonsense because... The White House wants this to not affect the market, to not affect the economy, but they want to get their way. They want to get a deal done. And China doesn't really want to make a substantial deal because guess what? The election is just a little over a year away and they can just try to ride it out. And I think that's what they'll eventually do because they don't want to really make any substantial changes. They like the way it is. They like stealing our intellectual property. They like dominating the global supply chains of multinational corporations. They love it. It's done them very well. And they have almost a pact with their citizens that, yes, we are a communist dictatorship. We, You really have no say as citizens in what happens. But guess what? We're going to give you economic prosperity. And Trump is trying to change that to some degree. Will we eventually get to a deal? Sure. I just don't think it'll be in 2019. Let's go to Ted in Georgia. He wants to talk a little bit about revenues. Uh, yeah, specifically the uh, the relative valuation metric of revenue to market cap. 
it's something I've heard okay. you mention quite often when you're breathing through a stock with a caller. Uh, Steve touched on it last week, um, but he talked about it more in terms of rel- relative valuation in general. He talked price to sales, price to earnings. Um, but it seems like an interesting metric to me that you're comparing sales relative to the overall value of the company. So I guess my questions for you are, you know, what do you, what metric do you consider this? Do you consider it like value, management, metrics of profitability? And what do you look for when you look for that percentage? And does it vary by industry? Um, AT&T is like around 50. A lot of the FANG stocks, growth stocks are like around 25%. But a company like United Healthcare is almost 100% revenue to market cap. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what you look for and, and how you think about that metric. Well, it's definitely a valuation metric. Almost all of the ratios that you're going to look at are going to be some valuation metric typically. And that's how they are often expressed, right? Uh, you can look at earnings yield. That's just the inverse of the PE. So, you know, it depends on how it's expressed, but it's a valuation metric. And it's absolutely depending on industry because certain industries have very high profitability, such as the software industry. Their margins tend to be very large. Whereas, say, the commodity industry, it tends to be very small, or maybe the grocery industry tends to, their margins are very, very small. So their price sales are going to be much lower because say less sales turn into profits in that industry than say software, for example. So you definitely need to look at it per uh, uh, by industry. Absolutely, I like enterprise value to EBITDA a little bit better because, uh, or, or sorry, enterprise value to sales than market cap because enterprise value encompasses how much debt they have in their balance sheet as well. So I tend to lean towards that. Also, it's to me, it's a lot more instructive from a valuation perspective in a recession, right? Because you've seen sales drop, you've already seen margin compression, right? Because it's a more competitive industry or a competitive environment, a much tougher environment, there's more discounts, etc. So margins tend to get squeezed in that type of environment. So earnings become very, very depressed. Whereas sales might go down, but usually not quite as much as earnings. Um, so I like to look at that a little bit more in tough economic times and find the lowest price of sales, knowing that their sales have still relatively held up compared to its drop in, in market cap or enterprise value. Uh, and, and so I look at more in a recession. It's a good metric, but... Once again, it's not the end-all be-all. Thanks for the call. Good question, Ted. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You've been listening to Invest Talk for a while. You've heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. It's the first step in building more profitable investment strategy. You need to define your investment comfort zone and then calibrate your portfolio accordingly. And you can start by taking our free online tool at investtalk.com. It's the Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. But now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. The countdown continues. In just two days, the next KPP Wealth Management Conference will be held in Irvine, California. That's right. This Saturday, October 12th, Steve and Justin will lead the event. 
earning yield in a no-yield world, investing in real estate stocks and bonds for income. Make reservations through investtalk.com. The Anytime Listener lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions now. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's take a quick look at some key benchmarks today. Gold was up a little bit, 1503 an ounce. The two-year Treasury yield was also up 1.52%. This is actually an interesting uh, development today or, or over the last few trading days is while the market's been you know flat to down, Treasury yield has been up a decent amount. It closed, uh, it was a low 1.53 just a few days ago on Tuesday. And it closed today at 1.65, up about 15 basis points. That's a pretty big move when you're only about 1.5%. It's a 10% change in the cost of funding in just a short period of time. Now, why is that? Especially with the increasing expectation the Fed will cut rates again at the end of this month. Is this having to do with the repo crisis? It's kind of reminiscent of what we saw before the repo crisis in early September. I thought that was very, very, very interesting. What's also interesting is the 30-year mortgage rate, although over the past few months the 10-year treasury rate has gone down, mortgage rates have not ticked down nearly as much. The 30-year fixed rate is at 3.57%. And... Is still declining overall, but not to the level that you would expect with a decline of 10-year treasury, which I thought was interesting. Oil was at $53 a barrel, pretty much flat from yesterday. And Bitcoin now at $8,400 an ounce, up a tiny bit over the last uh, few days, but still it broke at 9,000 level. I was saying that for a while. If it stayed above 9,000, it was in a bullish stance, breaks 9,000, it is now in a bearish stance technically. So watch out for more downside in Bitcoin, and I think it's actually interesting that Bitcoin broke down just before the overall market started breaking down again. So keep an eye on Bitcoin. Listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We present this program with five new shows each weekday, Monday through Friday. You can find all of our podcasts in history in our podcast library at investtalk.com. I'm not, now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Today is Thursday and Steve Peasley is in San Jose conducting his no-cost portfolio review consultations. But if you live anywhere in Southern California, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will be leading the KPP Wealth Management Conference this Saturday in Irvine. The event topic, Earning Yield in a No-Yield World. Learn more anytime at investtalk.com. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, our main talking point today involves... A report by an analyst, I believe from Fidelity, if I'm not mistaken, and he's basically saying that small caps have underperformed. They've underperformed the S&P. They're down slightly over the last year, while the S&P is up, uh, you know, single digits or so. 
And he's saying that when the Fed begins to cut rates, small caps tend to outperform large cap stocks. And on top of that, small cap companies generally are less affected by global trade concerns. Obviously, the larger corporations, in order to get that large, they need to be multinational. They need to sell all over the world. Whereas small caps, most of them tend to be more domestically focused, some of them exclusively. And from a valuation standpoint, he's using P ratios, which I don't love, saying that now the valuation gulf between large and small is the biggest it's been in a decade. And that bodes well for small caps over the next 10 years. So he's, he's giving a kind of a short-term catalyst, which is the Fed rate cuts, and using in conjunction with kind of a long-term metric, which is valuation. Now, I tend to not agree with this sentiment simply because I think this recent Fed rate cut is not going to be enough. Now, if the Fed gets to a point where they've done enough, then maybe the economy reaccelerates and certainly small cap stocks will benefit more in an accelerating economy. We haven't seen that yet. And small caps continue to lag. If you were on the market analysis webinar on Investock Academy yesterday, you'll show, uh, you have seen that small caps compared to the S&P continue to trend lower and lower, making lower highs and lower lows. And technically, that's not changing. Nothing about that looks to be changing. Now, what he says is that small caps tend to outperform large caps in the three and six months following the first Fed rate cut. Well, we are, when did they first cut rates? About three months ago now, right, in July, and if you look at a chart of IWM to SPY, we are clearly lower than we were in during that first rate cut of all of July. So the first three months has not played out. Okay, so that's my first flaw in this analysis. On top of that, what tends to keep small caps doing better than large caps is that about 30% of small cap earnings come from housing, right? They're more domestically focused. Well, when rates drop, what area of the market tends to hold up better or do better in general? Well, housing, because housing stocks, builders, they are more sensitive to changes in interest rates. So it makes sense. And you go look at, for example, ITB. And ITB has went right along. ITB is the iShares U.S. Home Construction ETF, so it's U.S. Home Builders. That's up strongly since July, roughly 10%. So that's going along with that thesis that, yes, lower interest rates help housing. Housing is a larger sector of small caps, et cetera, or a segment of small caps. And that's partially true, but that just shows the underlying weakness of all of the rest of the area 
or the rest of the sectors within small caps is that while home builders are doing great, small caps continue to underperform. Which once again leads me to believe the market is telling a story. Market tells you stories if you pay attention to it. And the soft economic data, such as economic surveys, sentiment readings, they've all been pointing to a slowdown for a little while now. And now you're starting to get hard economic data that's weak, weak, like the ISM report, for example, manufacturing activity. So I'm not buying this. I'm not buying the analysis. 10 years from now, will small caps outperform? Sure. I think it's a pretty good chance that's true from a valuation standpoint and just long term small caps tend to do better than large caps so give me a 10 year time horizon small caps probably gonna do better not a revelation so this isn't an exciting report but it's something you need to understand the dynamics of small caps versus large caps so you know how to position your portfolio accordingly now on the next invest talk this story the father of the yield curve says now is time to prepare for a recession three month treasury has been in inverted yield curve since may and one opinion argues that the assets can be better managed when the economy is booming he will be handling that story tomorrow but for now i'm justin klein ready to take your questions right now at 888.99 chart This is InvestTalk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888 99Chart. Let's go to Trayvon in Alabama. He wants to talk about marijuana stocks. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have um, some holdings in marijuana stocks. Uh, I have a uh, little bit of the MJ and Aurora Cannabis in Africa. And I saw that he got hit really bad today, and it's been getting hit really bad just the past month or so. And I was just wondering what you think about the sector and how I should approach uh, that investment. Well, this sector overall has been overvalued and overvalued for a while, and you're starting to see a correction in those valuations. 
right? They, you have companies with billion dollar valuations with a lot of potential and a lot of their future business is not on the books and will become on the books once there are certain states and countries that make marijuana legal. Uh, and I do think eventually there will be, uh, there will be national legalization here in the United States, just like there is in Canada. Uh, but th- this is a long-term play. You have to understand that these are going to be massively volatile. And if you can't handle that, you shouldn't be investing in them because they're going to have periods like you've over- had over the past six months. And that's when you want to be accumulating the right companies and be able to have the right research. Understand the research and not just uh, and not just throw money because you hear about the industry and the industry seems exciting. You need to understand what their leadership is, what their go-to-market strategy is, what areas of the of the market make the most sense long-term, or gonna, you know the companies that are going to build the best competitive advantage. It might be exciting and an interesting part of the marketplace, but at the end of the day. It's just a business like anything else. You're buying a product and selling it to consumers. And so you have to analyze it like that. And I like that you own MJ, which is just a diversified basket of marijuana stocks. But I think it just has more downside to go. But you have to understand the volatility. This could easily be cut in half again, and then a cut in half again. And if you really want to own this industry long term, you're buying those dips. You're not panicking out on days like today. So approach it just like any other industry and never get overweight just like any other industry. You don't put 50% of your portfolio in tech stocks. Shouldn't do that. Just like you shouldn't put 50% of your portfolio in marijuana stocks. Hope that helps. Let's take another question from our anytime listener line at 888 chart Hello, Invest Talk. I was just wondering with Amazon's recent announcement with their new products and them shifting into a consumer-based company, what do you think the outlook for the Amazon stock is? And what do you think is a good buy point? Love the show. Thanks, guys. I'm not sure what news you're talking about. I mean, they've been in a consumer-facing company for a long time pretty much since the beginning of their existence. So I'm not sure what you mean by that. But I will give you the outlook of Amazon stock. Technically, it's it's not looking too hot. From a monthly chart, a weekly chart, a daily chart, it has started somewhat of a downtrend. Now, where does that downtrend eventually take us? Uh, a lot of that there's multiple factors that's going to bring down Amazon. One is valuation. It's clearly an overvalued stock. Two, there's increasing competition from the likes of Shopify, right? Uh, retailers that don't want that, that don't want Amazon to steal their data, their customer data, etc. Want to have more control over their business are going to shift to Shopify, and Shopify is doing uh, a lot to a lot to really drive these retailers to them and away from Amazon. So that, I think, long-term is something Amazon really has to come to grips with. Number three, regulation. There's 
continue talk in Washington of breaking up these large companies, adding regular or adding like regulation in relation to the data that they collect and how much they can use, etc. And I see that as a headwind for Amazon as well. And number four, the economy. Economy is weakening. The consumer is held up. But if the consumer breaks, you see layoffs increase. Certainly, that's going to be a big hit to Amazon and its growth potential. So those are the four I see headwinds that Amazon has. And you could say there's a lot of tailwinds with online retail. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But if you look at their business, it is decelerating. A year ago, revenues were up 40%. Well, last two quarters, last three quarters, 20%, 17%, and 20%. So clearly a deceleration in revenue growth and earnings are only up 3% year over year last quarter. There's increasing competition for AWS. I just think it's priced for somewhat perfection. So I do think Amazon will eventually break down below what we saw late last year. And and that was at about twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a share. I think we get down to around a thousand dollars a share. I think that is a great price to to pick up Amazon right now. We're at seventeen eighty nine on Amazon. Thanks for the call. That was A M Z N. Now let's touch on something that's near and dear to my heart: basketball. About a little over twelve hours ago. We had a tip-off in China of the first exhibition games, first of a series of exhibition games that are going to be played there, or supposed to be played there. And the one today was between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets. And it almost didn't happen. And the main driver was a tweet about five days ago from the GM of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, basically supporting... Hong Kong protesters and their fight for democracy. Clearly, China didn't like that. And they threatened to cancel the games. They did cancel certain events that the players were supposed to go to within the community. They took down a big billboard promoting the game. And for many people thought the games the game today was just not going to happen. Well, it did, which is good, but it shows how the political realities of the world can quickly mesh with the business realities of the world. Now, China accounts for about 10 to 15% of total NBA revenue. And if you understand how the NBA collective bargaining agreement works is there's a 50-50 split between players, revenues, 50% of the revenue goes to the players, 50% of the revenue goes to the owners. And so if for whatever reason politically, China wants to shut off the NBA, such as the $500 million a year deal that NBA has with Tencent to broadcast games on the Tencent app in China, that's going to have a direct effect on future earnings for owners as well as players. So the commissioner, Adam Silver, came out and supported Daryl Morey. Basically said, you know, it's free speech. He has, he has the right to free speech. 
just like any employee within a corporation, they can have their political beliefs. Doesn't mean it represents us as the NBA, although got some backlash from that. But it just shows you when a corporation, that's what the NBA is. Remember, at the end of the day, the NBA is a business. Just like Apple is, GE, any large corporation. They're really no different. They have a higher public profile. So maybe they have more political sway and impact. And I think that's the biggest problem that China has with it. If this was the senior vice president of IBM, probably wouldn't say much. But this is a GM of the NBA. A lot of NBA players are idolized in China. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Anthony Davis, etc. Yao Ming was a superstar, played for the Rockets, the, comp- the, the team that Daryl Morey is the GM for. And the Rockets are the most popular team in China because of Yao Ming. So it was a, this is a really interesting dynamic. What's so interesting about this, I think, is if you understand what's happening in Hong Kong, and it's not covered here in America, not nearly as much. There are massive riots there every single day. They're on the brink of civil war. And if you think about it, this is all because of the opium wars of the 1800s. Hong Kong was given to the British on a 100-year term in 1897 after the opium wars. It was handed over in 1997. Complex deal. And this whole saga that has played out over the last week with the NBA is all because of the opium wars of the 1800s. That's why I love history. I think it's so interesting that these events that are over 100 years old still impact our society today. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And obviously, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experienced market analysis. That's why you are here. So I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every single Friday. Come straight to your email box. You get market analysis, portfolio management guidance, stock ideas, and personal finance tips as well. And you, you can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Hi, this is Daniel from New York. Just a quick question, guys. Uh, by this is InvestTalk. And here's something all investors have to deal with. We are living in a no-yield world. So, how can you safely get income from stocks and bonds despite a choppy market? You can register to attend the next KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will lead the event, and they'll be joined by two real estate experts and a trust attorney. Get your questions answered efficiently at one time and in one place. Saturday, October 12th in Irvine, California. The KPP Wealth Management Conference. Seating is limited. Register now at investtalk.com. Hi, this is Daniel from New York. Just a quick question, guys. Uh, By the way, I love your podcast. So I know the mortgage rates are going down, 
I currently own a home, let's say condo, but I noticed that it's every month the, the maintenance basically is going up and I feel like I'm losing a lot of money and I'm thinking about getting another home and possibly, you know, renting out that new home while the home I own, the condo, rent it out to someone else and get some kind of a monthly income. Uh, that's just one suggestion. Or the other option I was thinking is, or should I just sell my condo and hopefully profit out of it and get a cheaper home? I'm just looking for your professional feedback. Thanks, guys. Well, the answer has to do with what your living needs are. A lot of people view their primary residence as an investment. And I think that is a poor way to look at it. There's what you're paying for is the utility of it. Okay? Now, maybe secondarily, you think of it as an investment. Not that you put it out completely, but that should never be never, but sh usually shouldn't be your first way of thinking about what home you own. Whether that's to purchase or sell your current one and buy another one, whatever that is, you should be thinking about what's right for your lifestyle, your commute, your home life, your your lifestyle. Do you, do you travel a lot? Do you travel a little? Do you like to do housework, yard work? What do you like to do? What fits you and makes your yourself happy in general? And that's the type of home you should be looking for first. And then based on the, that criteria, then you pick which home you buy based on the price and you know affordability, etc. So if, if you're not liking the maintenance costs of your home, well, what's the guarantee that the next one isn't going to have similar issues? Okay. So first off, think about it as, as a utility to yourself. And if it's not providing the necessary utility for you to make you and your family happy, then it's not right for you. You need to sell it and buy another. Now, one of your options was to keep it, rent it out, and then go buy another. And then you have to ask yourself, do you want to be a landlord? Being a landlord isn't for everybody. You talked about maintenance costs. Maintenance costs can vary from month to month to year to year. You have a good tenant or a bad tenant. You don't know until that tenant gets in there. They pay on time. Do they call you every week? Being a landlord, you know, who's going to take care of it? Who's going to do all the work? You or are you going to hire somebody? Do you have a property manager? These are things that you have to consider and think about. It's not black and white. All these decisions are shades of gray and they're different for everybody. And it's hard for me to assess it without having a more in-depth conversation, but you can always call our office at 800-557-5461. Now we're going into the last segment right now. So give me a call. Our work continues after this break at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the father of the yield curve says now is the time to prepare for recession. He argues that it's easier to manage assets when the economy is booming. 
That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Will in San Diego. He's looking at Valero. Hello there, Justin. How you doing? Hello. Oh, pretty good. Hello. Pretty good. You wanna, I'm wondering when is you want to buy Valero to uh, sell? Yes. Well, you want to buy it? Or you want to sell it? I own it, and I'm thinking when is a good point to sell it. Well, you, you know, Valero had a high last year, which you probably know, about 127 or so. Now, and it dipped as low as about $70 a share. So, down 40, 45% or so from its all-time high. Now, it's at $85 a share. So, you've had a little bit of rally. And it's actually consolidating bullishly on the weekly, which I like that. It looks to me like this could break higher up to around the $100 level. That's where you're gonna see the next major resistance around that $100 level. So if you're looking to get out of it, that's an area where I would continue, I would start lightening up, and I would really heavily lighten up around the 115. So uh, those are the two numbers that I'm looking at on the chart that really stand out to me that will be major technical uh, resistance if it does break up around that 100 level and then the 115. 115. Okay. Yeah, that gives me a good idea then. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Will. That was Valero Energy. V-L-O is the symbol. Now let's talk quickly about in retirement cash flow needs. And most new retirees find the financial aspect of retirement transition to be unnerving, right? And in this environment, it's difficult to extract a lot of yield from your assets, but it can be equally as hard to understand the cash flow needs that you're going to have in retirement. Now, most people use a 75 to 80% of their working incomes in retirement as their need for cash flow in retirement. But we always say that can be a little tricky. It can depend on who you are, what your goals are in retirement, what your health is like, etc. So here are seven steps to figuring out a, g- a general number that you might need in retirement. The first is determining the income replacement uh, looking at your baseline of what your income is around retirement, right? If you're younger, clearly your income now is much much lower than it will be in the future. The average college-educated individual makes 50% higher salary at retirement than he or she does at the age 25. So clearly you're going to make more near retirement. So you start with that. Then you subtract your savings rate. So whatever you're saving, right? So if you're saving 10%, you're no longer going to need to save that. So you're not going to need that income. Okay, so you subtract that. Then you subtract any tax reductions. When you retire, no longer paying Social Security tax, Medicare tax. And they don't realize that, most people, retirees don't realize that they're saving that in retirement. You're not going to need that. You're, you can subtract out that. Next, subtract out any 
anticipated housing cost reductions. Are you going to downsize? Are you going to pay off that mortgage completely? If you do downsize, downsize, you're going to have a lower insurance premium, lower utility bills, lower maintenance costs. And even some seniors in certain areas, depending on where you live, can qualify for a reduction in your property tax. That's something to consider as well. Now, some retirees might stay in their home and others might buy a second home. I know a lot of people that do that, where they buy a second home in another state, maybe a state that has no income tax and suddenly you're a resident of that state and you go back and forth depending on the seasons of the year. I have family family members that do that. Next, lifestyle changes. We talk about this all the time. Typically, there's what we call a, a, a smile in expenses. Where early on in retirement, you're traveling a lot more, so your expenses tend to go up, right? You're in relatively good health. Then as time goes on, you kind of get tired. You've seen all the places. Maybe your health dwindles a little bit. You have a little bit less energy. And then it goes up near the end of life when you have more health care costs. So that's something to consider as well. Well, I think that does it for today. Thank you for Thank you all for tuning in. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve will be returning tomorrow with highlights from the KPP Premium Newsletter. Also, please remember to register for the KPP Wealth Management Conference. It's coming up in two days in Irvine, California. You can sign up at investtalk.com. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.